This episode is sponsored by Flycode. When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back in this is episode 193, Good Tech Interviews. So we're going to be chatting, chatting all about interviews. We've had some typical interview horror stories. We're going to be talking about the good experiences, the bad, the good practices, all kinds of stuff, all about tech interviews. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And uh, Mike, you wrote up the show notes for today, so I'll, I'll let you take it away, please, sir. Yeah, all right. Thanks, Matt. Uh, so, yeah, I just kind of wanted to highlight some of the good stuff about interviews. That was really the purpose of this, because I feel like any anytime I see on social media interview stuff, it's always talking about the disaster interview scenarios. And I'll talk about them in a second. But really, I want to bring to attention some of the good experiences people had. It's not all bad out there. It's not all terrible. And some people, myself included even, have had great interviews. And um, it's just been a good process. Now, obviously, I I don't know what, what outweighs what. Like, I'm assuming the bad outweighs the good because most of the experiences I hear from the people I'm mentoring, from the people I'm talking to, especially the juniors, are having just disaster experiences. But then again, as soon as people get jobs, they start to kind of look at it in a different way. So there's a perspective issue as well, like... I'll, I'll explain it, but like really someone that has a good experience with an interview, it's not necessarily going to be uh, the same for everyone else, right? So that's another kind of caveat that I wanted to bring up in this episode where just because you hear that this is a great experience and in your mind you're thinking, wow, I would hate that. That's okay. Like people are different. Interviews are different and companies are different. So if you don't find a fit in an interview or in a company because of something that like is just contradictory to your own beliefs or your own, you know, your own way of thinking, that's okay because there's other companies that are probably going to find that as well and have a different w- approach to this. Um, but let's just get right into it. Let's jump right into the typical interview horror stories just to set a base of like what not to do or what, what to expect in a worst case scenario, right? So we've talked about it before, but let's just run into asking questions about unrelated tech. So I've I've heard that a million times. Like you go to the job post, the job post says you're going to be learning Svelte or you're going to be using Svelte, React, uh, you know, maybe no backend at all, right? So you're just a front-end dev, some CSS, some HTML, and then you get into the interview and they're asking you about PHP. Like that kind of stuff seems to happen pretty often and it can throw people off because like how I would assume and how I would go into an interview is take the interview, take the job description that I got from like Indeed or something like that or LinkedIn, read up on the on the technology, make sure that I know it, make sure that the stuff that I've used, I've read up again to make sure that it's all in the top of my head. The stuff that I haven't used, just get the general terminology and at least know the gist of it so that I can direct like comparisons to the stuff I've already used. A lot of times that that works in an interview process, but 
if I go in there and I'm expecting front end and all of a sudden I'm thrown into the back end, yeah, that's going to throw me. It's going to be a bad experience. It's just going to be a bad time. And unfortunately, what happens a lot of the times is like the the human resources people will take a generic tech in tech uh, description and throw it into the application or into the um, job description on Indeed. And all of a sudden, when you get to the interview, the actual hire, like the actual person that's going to be working with you had nothing to do with that um, that job posting, right? They had they didn't even know what who did it, who created it. So they're they're expecting someone with completely different skills than the human resources person that put up the job description and job post. It's a miscommunication thing. It often happens, especially when companies are super busy, but it's something that does happen. It's okay to kind of go in there and, ex- and explain your situation be like, hey, listen, this is the job posting. I didn't read any of this and see how they react to it. Sometimes it can actually go pretty well for you. You know, you know what really sucks about this? And, and I'm sure more of these interview horror stories and, you know, sort of the, the bad practices or whatever that we're going to be talking about, I, I think often actually come from being told or being kind of taught, I guess, that an interview is like some sort of specific procedure in which both parties are not privy to how each other do it. And it's like every move you make becomes this really unorganic, very, very awkward experience. So I'll give you an example. So we were taught in college that interviewers love to see you pull out a list of potential questions to ask them. And we were taught that, or at least I remember being taught that unless I misinterpreted. And I did that a couple of times in person, but it felt really awkward. So what I had was literally a sheet from our college that had potential interview questions that you, the interviewee can ask the interviewer. And they were like, they love it when you come prepared. Like it shows that you brought a sheet and you, you had it with you and you were prepared with this sheet to ask a question. But in my mind, I always thought, well, this kind of looks like I was ill-prepared and I brought a a cheat sheet. That's how I felt about it. And I got absolutely zero and and like a small sample size. So maybe I'm wrong, but I got literally zero of the co-ops. And I got one. I got one job offering from an in-person interview. However, that particular interview, that interviewer was very disorganized. Um, but from all the ones that were super organized, had multiple people in them, I had to like maybe go to the location, stuff like this. I got zero and it felt super awkward to pull that sheet out because sometimes the portfolio doesn't even get opened all the way. It's like, it kind of gets opened as a preparatory step. You kind of, in my case, I had like a little binder, unzip it and you kind of get it ready. But then, you know, you don't, maybe they don't refer to anything in there. They don't ask you for anything that you've done. And so you flip past all these these sheets of portfolio pieces to get to this question sheet. And it just felt really inorganic. And this is one example. Like, again, I could be wrong. Maybe that is what, you know, co-op employers want, but I got most of my job and my job offers, like I think three total or maybe two was from phone interviews in which one of them, maybe both of them, I didn't even have that sheet around or if I did, they didn't see it. And so again, it's like this really inorganic experience where you feel super awkward in there and it's very um, like, oh, if they say hello, I need to reply with hi. If I don't reply with hi, I might as well go home because I made a mistake in the process of 
interview. Like it, it's it's very robotic and it's taught that way. But yet you see these other interviews, I mean, mostly in movies and stuff. So it's sort of romanticized, I guess you could say. Um, but it's where they're like super, um, organic where it's just like, Hey, like come, you know, hang out here and, you know, see if you like the place. And it's just an actual conversation. And there's a little bit of that. Like you're a little bit nicer to the person or you're a little bit like more cheery that day, stuff like this. It's like a first impression thing, but it's a more organic experience. And so this very robotic, like sort of tit for tat, almost, you could say, like when they do this, you do this. When when you do this, they do this. And it, like it's really awkward. And I don't think it's I almost don't think it's real or it is real, but everyone does it differently. And so you're just like, well, I hope the way I've interpreted this interview is the same way they do. And if it's not, then I guess I'm not getting the job. Maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe I'm crazy, but it's uh that's the way I feel about interviews. It's 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 a lot of these problems stem from this weird, almost unspoken but also spoken too much about process that i'm pretty sure doesn't exist and if it does i I don't think it should exist so i i think you kind of hit the nail on the head with a little bit of the problem with interviews and especially people teaching interviews techniques um it is too structured like the if an interview inter if an interviewee feels like a robot I'm going to guess nine times out of 10, it's just not going to go any farther. And the the reason that a lot of them feel like a robot is because, first of all, they've already tried going in there being more laid back and had failures, right? So, and then they went went to somewhere, they're like, well, you have to answer this to, with this, they answer this with this, and then all of a sudden they are a robot. The reality is you got to be very much in between like being able to answer questions properly and being able to do it in a conversational manner. And I'll talk about the good interview experiences like a little bit later here. And But a lot of those good experiences have to do with being conversational, being relatable, and just having a, a good like heart to heart, like being able to just talk about yourself and about your passion and about the like coding experience that you had without it being a structured content response like without it being a robot right so i've sat in on a couple of interviews i've interviewed a couple of times and i've been interviewed right so i've I've been in many different chairs in that process um i don't have a ton of experience but i do have it from a many different perspectives every time that i had an experience where it was more of a robotic answer for like question answer question answer question answer no one's got like neither of the parties have been in a good position to proceed, right? So the interviewer didn't want to bring back the interviewee. The interviewee seemed to be standoffish in a sense that they don't even want the job. That that's how it comes across a little bit, where they're just like they're just there to you know put a check mark on their resume or something like or on their experience. Um, and it might not be that, right? It might just be that they were taught to do this and they're doing it exactly as they were taught. But the reality is, again, it has to come from a more natural perspective because. At the end of the day, you're going to be working with people, not robots. You're going to be working in a team that expects people to be able to communicate in a way that they communicate. Some teams communicate, you know, less conversationally. Some teams communicate more conversationally, whatever it is. But it has to be in a more communicative sense and not just like I'm here because I'm here and that's it. Having said that, obviously, there's some situations. I'm sure there's positions out there that are okay with that kind of 
experience. So if you're, if that's the way that you communicate, some people, you know, like it's just, that's their nature. They have to have that, you know, answer, answer set already and just regurgitated. Maybe you can still find a position for you that would fit that. But again, from my own experience, from the people around me, from all the stuff that I've listened to, it's always going to be a better experience for everyone if you keep it conversational. And that goes for both the interviewer and the interviewee. The interviewer can screw it up by not not being able to respond properly. And the interviewee is the same way, right? Like the, the questions that are asked, the, the way that the response is ha- handled or handled, the follow-up questions, those are really key because if, let's say for the from the interviewer's perspective, if they start asking you questions and you bring up, hey, you know, I've worked on this project. I really like this project. I used Vue, Svelte, all that. And they're like, mm-hmm, okay, let's move on to the next question again, like without even following up on anything that you've said. They're the robot in that situation. And is that right, not wrong? Like, I don't know, but like usually that's a bad interview experience when you you see that there's – it's almost like a disinterest in what you're having to say. Go, It goes both ways. Now, having said that, uh, let's move on to a little bit of other situation, like horror situations, right? Uh, the next thing here is tons of interview rounds. So this one is a real big pet peeve, of, pet peeve of mine because interviews are stressful and the more interviews you do, the more stress it's going to be. And it's also going to build up your, you know, I don't know if it's confidence or your hope is more is more the word. So let's say you have six interview rounds, some of these larger fan companies, that's that's the reality of it. If you get to round six and you're weeded out on round six, that's going to hit you a lot harder than being weeded out on round one or two. And in my experience, a lot of the times, like people that are weeded out at the, at the higher rounds, they're, they're going to burn out. Like it's just, it's, it's such a difficult thing to come back from. So you're making them go through this very excruciating experience of like having to talk to sometimes more than six different people. Cause some of these interviews can be done in panel settings. That's another horror, but you're also like you're making them go through this and then you're rejecting them with either a straight rejection or a confident, whatever, however you want to reject them. And you're, you're just churning through people at that point. Now I get it. You want the best candidate for the job, but you have to be a person. Like if you're interviewing, if you're a company in a position to hire people, you have to be a person first. Like you have to understand that, that the people that you're bringing into the company are people. And if you're just going to treat them like there are cogs in the machine during the interview process, that's probably how it's going to seem to the external world as well. Cause they're going to come back and they're going to have, they're going to talk about it with other people. So you might not get the other, the like a, a really good engineer to even apply to your job because they know that there's six rounds of interviews that they could fail on the sixth one and stuff like that. So I don't know. In, in my experience, try to limit it like two, two interviews at tops in my, like I know that that's not a realistic sense in some companies, but like really, it shouldn't take more than two interviews to get someone in. One HR interview for culture and one technical interview. That's enough. That's literally enough to bring someone in, in my perfect opinion. There is – not perfect opinion. In my honest opinion, um, there is a um, – what is it? A probation period for a reason. That's something that I'll talk about in a little bit again. But a probation period allows you to actually vet to see if the company – if the employee will be able to handle the job. I don't think that that should be done directly in the interview. 
that's a big thing that like people try to do. Like they try to send these massive take home exams. And that's another one of the things that is, that's next on my list where it's like you take a, a, you take a massive project. Essentially, they're like, Hey, build this entire website front end, back end. Hey, you have a week to do. And then you will see, we'll, we'll, you know, deduct, like we'll see your code and then we'll be able to tell if you can fit in. We're not going to pay you for it. It's like you're giving them an assignment, a project that they're going to have to spend a hundred hours on. And then you're going to be most likely going to reject them. So they're just wasting a hundred hours to you. You don't care because you're the employer. Like it's not, you're not going to use that project, but to them, that's a hundred hours they could spend on, you know, applying to other jobs or learning about a different technology or doing something more relevant to what they need to do. It's again, it's one of those things that's just not empathetic. Like they just know empathy in that situation. Whereas a great way to handle that, like a, is to either assign a very small task very small take home task. That's just like one feature of a project that can take a couple hours. Okay. A couple hours of your, their time. Maybe it's worth it for a company that they really want to work for. Or if it's something that maybe you'll even use in the future. So maybe you're just trying to find different candidates, pay them for the interview, pay them to do that task. That's a real technique that companies use right now where they're like, okay, well, this is a take home task. We're going to gauge if we're hiring you on it or not. But we're going to pay you for your time while you're developing it. Like we expect this to be done in 16 hours. We're going to pay for 16 hours of work. And we're going to get like it's almost like a little mini contract, like a little mini exchange. And that to me, that's a lot more fair. There's a lot more motivation from the employee. It's, you know, it goes both ways. They, they make a little bit of money while learning, while going, potentially getting a job. I don't think that that's an outrageous ask from a company that's hiring an engineer for, you know, six figure, like high six figure salaries. Or even, even like the, a junior engineer that's starting at still fairly high salaries. Like that's, that's how engineers are. So it's just one of those things. Like there's just so many little things in the interview process that piss me off. Uh, and I'm going to get to the good experiences really soon, but I just wanted to again hammer through a, a few more of these. Well, this interview rounds thing too. You mentioned the, the waste of time and it, it like it, it pisses me off too because I've never actually gone through a multi-level interview like this? I don't think. I think maybe I had like a brief phone call with somebody and then they had like a second phone call. Um, Actually, that, that just triggered a memory. I actually did have a phone call where I had a phone call and it was like really informal. They called kind of on a whim and then they called me, I want to say three weeks later, which might have been planned. I don't really remember. And they called me again and it's sort of like, how long am I supposed to wait for this at the time? Almost minimum wage paying job. It wasn't even a developer thing. It was, it was tech related. I'm not going to oust the company or anything, but it was sort of like, what is going on here? How long am I supposed to be like, well, you better, better stay available there. Like make sure you're ready to work because we might call you in the next three to seven months. Like, it's like, what the fuck? Like, am I, am I supposed to be going in at some point to see somebody like I've just been talking to what I presume is an HR rep or a phone operator for all I know. I don't even know who this person is. Um, and it's like really awkward too. Like I had a really awkward conversation with them where I had a couple of projects on the go at the time and I told them about them because they're like, what are you doing? And then they're like, well, if we hired you, what would you do with those projects? And I was like, I don't know, find a way to balance it or quit them, I guess. Like, I don't, it's sort of like you're asking me weeks apart 
what am I supposed to do? Just be like, well, I better just wait on my couch just in case these people call me. Like, what type of, like, I don't know, like, happy-go-lucky fake corporate procedure is that? Like, that's nonsense. It wasn't even that hard of a job, if, if, if memory serves. And again, it was <laughs> it was really low paid. It wasn't even that well paid. It was, honestly, I think I was getting paid more in my co-op than I would have for this this thing. And I only applied to this because I had bulk apply to jobs, and that was just one of them. And it was just, it was one of those experiences where it's like, like, I'm not doing this, this, this multiple round thing. Like, I, you know, if I have to, whatever, and there are certainly some jobs that require it, you know, some like security checks and this and that, very specialized jobs, fine. But if I'm going to be sitting in a cubicle and coding up websites for your clients, do I need nine rounds of testing or should you, or are you, are you misusing your probation period? Or are you not using your probation period? Like, use your, use your probation period. You have a catch all there. Use that. Yeah, I, I, that's what I don't understand is like, why don't companies just use the probation period? It doesn't cost them that much. Like, yes, it's three months of salary potentially, but it could be one month. Like you could weed them out in one month. It could be a week. You know what I mean? Like, it's a weird experience for me that they put these, they put people through this kind of hell that they don't see it as hell. Maybe I don't know. It, or, or it's just, it's just one of those corporate things where they, they don't, they don't care. It's sort of like, it, it, it's like, you know, that, that like evil corporation idea, you know, I'm not trying to like poke at that, but it's sort of like not evil, but it, um, in this case, it would be like, they're very systematic. Like they, like there's no feelings involved with the procedure. It's very like, do this thing. Well, that's gonna take 600 hours. I didn't ask that. Do this now. And then maybe you can work here, <laughs> but you'll be on probation for a month or whatever the procedure or whatever the you know law is there or whatever, but you'll be on probation for X, X amount of time. It's like, what? So if I do this project, it takes me, you know, 600 hours. What's going on here? It just doesn't make it like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And then half the time, half the time, like people always say, it's like the interview super intense, but when you get in the job, super chill. And I'm sort of thinking like, that's a bad interview process because that interview process is supposed to vet people for this job. What if I'm a very high energy person that's always bouncing around like crazy and all of a sudden it's like, "Oh, like I I'm just sitting here and like waiting for tickets and tickets come in once a week and I finish them in 10 minutes." So like that's now the job is a bad fit for me. That's a bad interview process. Like don't waste people's time. Use the probationary period. Like come on. Like what <laughs> what's going on here? It's it's just the it's one, it's lack of empathy and it's two, everyone's just extremely busy. So they're hiring for these positions. They're bringing in these engineers to do the interviews, but these engineers only have like 30 minutes of time and then they have to go back to finish the tasks that are in their, that are on their plate. And like for them, they're just cogs in the machine as well. Like the interviewers are just cogs in the machines as well. And once they finish the interview, they're back to doing whatever the heck they were doing before. It's not on them to call back the to the person that they interviewed. It's on the people that they report to. And the people that they report to have a million different things that they're doing as well. So it's not it's not specifically an evil like I, I always err on the side of like just incompetency or it's just it's just emotionless. It's an emotionless yeah, it's, procedure. Exactly. Like the fact that someone didn't call you back for three months and then all of a sudden called you back, they weren't doing that with the knowledge that you're sitting at your desk, like crying, th thinking that you failed the interview and, you know, struggling to make rent. That's not what they're seeing. That's not what they're thinking. They're doing it with like the three months pa to them passed in like a week. 
because yeah, they were like, doing a, a million ticket different came things. into their desk. Like a ticket Correct. came up and it was like three months better do a callback. Yeah. Exactly. Like that, that's, that's the thing. Like they don't, they don't see time the same way that a person that doesn't have a job sees time. That's, I think that's a, a big, big disconnect that has to be kind of put into the interview process. And like, again, again, empathy is a really, really big skill. Like if you're an HR rep, have empathy. If you're a hiring manager, have empathy. Unfortunately, for companies, it's actually a bad thing, right? Like for corporations, empathy is a bad thing because you tend to make decisions in the quote unquote wrong way. I, I don't know. I don't see it that way. I don't, I never want to be honestly as big of a corporation where that becomes an issue. I always want to at least have some, some level of control over that where I can, I can choose to be a decent person rather than have to rely on the cor- the corporation to, um, you know, make me an evil person i don't know like i don't know how else to put it it's just it's a shitty it's a shitty situation and all all of these horror stories are mostly coming from that process that corp like that corporate structure that weird setting of the court the the corporation trying to pass down a, a structured set of things that can for sure guarantee a person to come in and succeed in that role without wasting too much money it's it's just one of those like things where you're trying to fit a uh, square peg into a round hole all the time and it's not going to work a lot of the time it's just not going to work what's hilarious about this is as you were describing you know big company and and you know all the all the other like caveats of the procedure and why the procedure and the systems are the way they are i i just had this like vivid thought of us like becoming a huge corporation and you know obviously you allow managers and and managers of managers to make procedures and i just had this vivid idea of me one day being like i'm going to go check out what the hr department or i'm going to go check out what the technical department or whatever is doing and just having like a gordon ramsay kitchen nightmares <laughs> moment where i walk into like the walk in and i'm like what in the what's that what's that like it just freaking out and being like why do we mean there's seven interviews like seven interviews to like run coffee or whatever we're doing i don't know food company whatever this and that and just freaking the hell out on people because i'd just be it wouldn't even be like me attacking them i'd be so shocked i might fall down like i'd just be like what are we doing now it's like oh well we need we need to have them to buy a fax machine to fax us for this part of the procedure a fax machine like i would go for lunch. Like I would lose my mind. I could just, I just imagine, I don't know why that popped into my brain so vividly, but a full on like Gordon Ramsay, dirty, like walk-in freezer moment, but in a company for procedures. Weird, but that was uh, first thing came to mind. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I hope we never have that situation. On the other hand, I'd love to see it. I, I love, get, I'd get, love the, to get see. the the cameras out because it's going to be a yeah. full TikTokable moment. Yeah, Holy exactly. Crap. That's good. That's going to be the, the situation. But yeah, like it's just one of those things. Um, I'm just going to quickly fire through a few a few more of these. I'm not going to go too far in depth in them because we've heard a lot about why they're happening. Um, so no callbacks. We talk, We just talked about that a little bit, like where you don't get a callback at all or you get a callback in three months or you get no email or you just get ghosted. That sucks. It sucks for everyone. Like I don't understand why that's not – if it's – if it's not part of the procedure to let people know that they didn't get the job, how how is it not part of that? It just slipped through the cracks or people are actually like – they just don't care or something. Again, leads back to empathy. Uh, lead code, like why are you getting people to write a binary tree algorithm if they're going to be coding up a website? Like that that happens right now. Right now you can go to – you can go to – you can go to a job – interview for front-end skills like Svelte or JavaScript and all of a sudden you're like how do you code up a binary tree and you're like 
I would just use the binary tree that was already been coded up by a million other people. And when would I ever use that? Like, it's just like, it's a weird situation. Now I get it for computer science jobs where you have to optimize everything to the nth degree, right? Like if you, if it's a specific job that requires the optimization of already created algorithms, totally get it. Maybe ask them some more complex math questions and stuff like that. But again, 90% of these jobs, I'm pulling that statistic out of my ass, but a lot of these jobs are not required to know how to do these crazy lead code problems. All these lead code problems, in fact, have been solved already efficiently as hell. You would just need to know where to find that solution and apply that solution. That's the more important thing. How do you apply that solution to this problem in this specific case? Um, but yeah, with that, with that, I mean, again, we've all heard the horror stories. Let's go into something more positive. Let's go into what, what makes a good experience. And for this, I actually went to Twitter. I asked the audience, what is a good interview? Like, what is a good interview they had? What made it a good interview? It doesn't have to be necessarily an interview that you passed or like you got the job, but what actually, like, when did you come out of an interview with like, wow, that really was awesome. And I got a lot of, I got a lot of feedback. And again, some good interviews for some people might not be good interviews for everyone, but regardless, I think it's still important to show them for, for the audience. First thing here, questions being real problems that can be expected to be solved on the job. I just talked about that lead code thing. This is the exact opposite. Imagine you have, you're being hired for as a front end responsive design uh, developer. So you get a design and you have to make a responsive layout with it in HTML and CSS. A perfect question to ask in that scenario is, how do you create a grid layout using Flexbox? Like if you're gonna ask a technical question, make it something technical directly related to the job that they're going to be doing, right? That seems to have resonated with some people. Again, this is coming from you, from the, from the people listening, from the people uh, following me on Twitter. That's something that resonated with people because it's it happens so rarely that it's like, oh my God, at least it's something that can be solved. Like at least something that I'm prepared for and something that I'll be using in the actual job. Next thing here, allowing you to make mistakes. I think this is a big one. This honestly, this is this one I have an asterisk beside. Um, because what if you're going into an interview expecting to answer every question properly? you're going to freak yourself out. It's going to be a bad time. You have to go into an interview expecting not to know certain things and being okay with it. Being okay with saying, hey, I don't know, but this is how I would solve it. Or I don't know, but this is where I would look for it. Those are perfectly reasonable responses. And the interviewer, I must like a lot of the times, and again, these are the good experiences, are expecting you to answer no or how you, that you don't know something. They want that to happen because a really good experience in an interview, and again, this has been coming from the audience, is for the interviewer to let you know about that certain thing that you don't know and see how you respond to it. So if they ask you a specific question about Flexbox and you don't know how to center a div, this is a super rudimentary thing, but regardless, maybe you don't know how to center it. And they correct you being like, hey, this is this is how you center it. And you're like, oh, that's cool that I can use it in this case, in this case, in this case. They see that you've taken the information that they've given you and are now applying it to a potential problem that you could be solving for the job. 
You have no idea how important that skill is because, again, you're going to get to work and you're not going to know things. Imagine that. That's just mind-blowing. You're not going to know things. Some things you're just not going to know. But what's a really important skill to have is being able to take knowledge from someone else and utilize it, right? Like if someone explains something to you, can you apply it? Can you understand it? Or can you ask the right questions, follow-up questions to get deeper into it? Those are all really, really important skills, both from the interviewer and the interviewee. So you're both kind of showing that you can hold that conversation, like have that like learning moment. And in my opinion, you're going to learn more from that than answering the question correctly a lot of the time from both sides again. You know what? This is actually this triggered like a an idea or a, a memory in my, in my head as well as I was told one time and I, I mentioned this on the show before I was told one time from somebody that wasn't our our course or our program. And I don't know what happened to him. He may have dropped out. I'm not actually sure. But um, I can't remember the guy's name, but I, I have this like moment seared in my brain where I was talking about an interview I had and something was like really off about it. I don't remember which interview it was now, but I remember talking and sort of being like, man, that was weird or that was strange or that was stupid, whatever it was. And he was like right behind me. And he said, hey, like, you know, did that happen during like your your co-op interview? And I was like, yeah. And he says, you know, if it's bullshit right now, you know, if it's bullshit right now, it's going to be bullshit when you get there. It's not going to change. And like, I don't have the exact quote from him or anything, but that like was like such a teachable moment where I was like, this guy's right. This guy's actually correct. Is that if it's BS right now, what what makes me think that it's going to get better later? And I, if I remember correctly, like I use that, I've used that a lot actually for like making decisions in life and seeing red flags in procedures or whatever. And it, and, and one of the things that the reason why this was triggered in my head with this allowing you to make mistakes is that I was in an interview once and I couldn't answer a a question. I remember it was, uh, how do you tell the uptime of windows? And so I said, I, you know, I don't have the exact answer. Like I haven't actually looked for that ever. And I said, I'm almost certain there's a way to do it in the command line. And that's where I would look first. And I'd certainly be able to figure that out, but I just can't remember. And this guy that was like really silent throughout the interview, short of that one question that he asked me, because there were multiple people there kind of was like, yeah, well you go into the control panel and you do this. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, now I know. And I got like a really bad impression of him of like, oh, like I didn't get the job now because like he thinks I'm an idiot, which I mean, fair enough, I guess. But it's like, that's a red flag where what happens if I'm on the help desk or if I'm doing the IT or whatever. And I'm like, I accidentally say Windows at the time, Windows XP instead of Windows 7. Is he going to like, am I going to get like reamed out or called an idiot or he never did those things. But it was like one of those vibes I got where the guy kind of said it with a certain tone and sort of like corrected me in a weird in a way that I was like, oh, this guy is like he's sick of my he's sick of me talking now because he thinks I'm an idiot. Kind of like that's kind of the impression I got. And I like that was that was the principle I thought of immediately at the time. And now where I thought, man, like it's BS right now. So I'm out of here. Like even if these guys offer me the, the position, which I don't believe they did, like I'm out of here. Because I'm not going to deal with this on a daily basis where I'm terrified 
to just work. Like we're all working together. There's a lot of systems and stuff at play here. It was an IT job. We're going to misspeak sometimes. And I'm not going to go through this weird prove yourself phase where it's like, well, you, you, you idiot. It was windows XP, not seven. And it was clearly just me misspeaking. And again, this guy never did this, but it was like the, at that moment, I remember being like, man, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, I, like just, just based on that response, I don't even care. I'm done. Like I, I, like I did the rest of the interview. Certainly. It's not like I like threw it away, but I was just like, man, I'm out of here. Like I'm not, not coming back. And it was just one of those things where you expect like a good experience, like allowing you to make a mistake. And the fact that this person kind of cut in there, even if I misread the situation, totally could have, right? Totally could have. But even like the way I read it, it's just like, I'm out of here. Like my instinct was like, nope, I'm done. Yeah. And I I think you did the right thing. Like you, you answered not knowing in the right way. And that's what I've been trying to preach right here is like, just know, just describe that you don't know it, answer that you don't know it, but show that this is where I would look at least the first the first thing I would look at. Yeah. You answered it right. A good interviewer would have either shown you where that is in a in a normal way or been like, that's great. Like that's where I would look to. That's 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 the way. And then they would move on. Because that shows them that you're not going to just like be like, no, it's impossible. That's the worst thing you can say. And I think like <laughs> that would be like the biggest red flag for me from the interviewer's perspective is if I were to ask someone for how do you get up to uptime from a computer and they would be like, no, it's impossible because that shows me many things. First of all, you don't know, which is fine, but it also shows me that you're not willing to even look, you're not even willing to find out and you're very much set in your ways. Right. So that would be worst case scenario. In my opinion, you answered it as best you could in the situation and you were interviewing like you you were being interviewed, but you're also doing a little bit of the interview in that process as well. And you found that that situation did not melt, go mesh with you very well. And like you said, you would not have taken the job even if you would have got an offer. So that's the perfect situation an interview to, uh, to find that out in. And it's going to happen. It's a really good example for people to know. Now, moving on here a little bit, but one thing I just wanted to quickly mention, I actually got a quote directly from a hiring manager from a CTO about this allowing you to make mistakes thing. So they said, we don't care about the result, but how someone tries to solve the problem, how they handle being stuck and how they handle help. This can sometimes say more about a person than being right. And again, I I mentioned that before, and I 100% agree. I really love it when someone tells me, I don't know, but this is how I would find out. Those are the best. That's the best situation in an interview. Yes, obviously, knowing every answer to every every problem that I ask is also good. Like, sure, that shows that you know everything. But having one or two that are, you know, or, or even, even like a handful that you just can't get through because you don't have it in your top of your memory is also okay because of this situation. Just a quick word from this episode's sponsors. Is the fast forward button calling your name? We don't blame you. And neither does our sponsor, Flycode, or even the famous psychologist Pavlov. But that's exactly why we love them. They save you so much time and that's just a perk for them. Their mission is to bridge the gap between technical and non-technical teams. Flycode's platform makes it easy and safe for non-developers like product and UX teams to contribute to web and mobile applications code without actually coding. It requires no code to start using or maintain, and what's unique about their platform is that it's built on top of your existing code base. The latest release is a Git-based editor for product copy, and it even supports hard-coded strings. 
Flycode is specifically designed for web and native applications and supports the most popular frameworks like React, Angular, and Vue. Look, at the end of the day, the backlog for most companies is a daunting site and it's only getting worse. By empowering your product, marketing, or UX teams with Flycode, specific tickets and user stories will disappear from your backlog for good. Their team is cooking up some pretty impressive tools, and whether you're a company of one or 10,000, you need to check them out. They're offering a free trial to our listeners when you sign up at flycode.com slash HTML all. Again, that's flycode.com slash HTML A-L-L, HTML all. And now back to the episode. So the next thing here, conversations about previous projects. So letting the letting you lead the interviewer through your code and explaining your reasoning. I personally this one's awesome because it, it kind of hits on many different things. Instead of asking someone to whiteboard some code or uh write some code in front of them like a live coding exercise, have them open up a previous project, right, that they've worked on the code that they themselves wrote and take you through it. Ask them, ask them questions along the way. Like, why did you choose that method rather than this one? Why did you do this? Right. Ask them questions. It's a little bit of constructive feedback, a little bit of questioning their decisions, but it's a good practice to have. Like, it's not, you're not doing it in a nefarious way. You're trying to see how they respond to it. Because it's going to happen in the job. Again, it comes back to like, this is real world. You're going to do this in the job. You're going to look at their code. You're going to have code reviews. How are they going to handle that code review? Do they understand the stuff that they've written? How far do they understand it? Can they figure out other stuff? That's all the stuff that you can learn from looking at previous projects, right? That they've written. And the pressure is not as much on them to write something completely new. They already have done this. They, they were the ones that wrote it. So the pressure is a little bit off them. They're talking from experience. So it's a, it's kind of a good thing for both. It, it, it removes that aspect of like, oh my God, I'm going to make a mistake here and make it like, you know, you know, like that, the live coding experience is not for everyone. I think it's, it, it is still a powerful tool in some, in some situations to be able to see how they code, how they think, how they debug, but it's not, it's not going to work for a, a large majority of people because it's just too much pressure. You're throwing too much at someone looking over their shoulder in an interview process. You're not going to see their true self. It's just a lot of the times you're going to weed out people that could have succeeded no matter what. So I think I think that's a big one. The other thing is what you can do is sh- ask them to show you a side project that they worked on. Then they're talking from a point of passion. They're talking from a point of something that they really enjoyed coding a lot of the time, something that they really wanted to do. That's going to bring out a lot of the conversational aspect of like, this is why I chose that technology. This is how this worked. This is the problems that I've stumbled upon. I really like hearing about some of the big problems that people have gotten through because a lot of coding, and I've mentioned this before, but a lot of coding is going through roadblock after roadblock after roadblock until you find a final product. A lot of the times it's not going to be a smooth process. It's just not like that's just the reality of it. You can, you can plan it out as best you can. You can have all the experience you can have, but the, the reality is there's so many different platforms. There's so many different technologies. There's so, there's so many different ways of doing something that it's just, it's impossible to have a perfectly smooth end to end coding experience. If you're coding up a, a more complex application, it, you're going to run into some issues and it's important to see how they solve those issues or if they've ever run into them and stuff like that, that can really show you a lot about a person. 
Next thing here is lean more on culture fit rather than technical. So this goes back to way, way back with uh, Matt was saying uh, about the robotic interview process. Have more of a conversational interview. Find the kind of stuff they're passionate about by speaking to them about that kind of stuff. It doesn't have to be perfectly technical, right? Like it doesn't have to be all about code. It can be about like, hey, what do you do on the weekends? Like, what do you do for fun? Um, what are you What are you doing on the side? Like, what technology are you using? Like, I understand we're we're interviewed for a React, but is there any other technology that you're passionate about or you like? Have a conversation with them and see where they're at in terms of my headspace. See where they're at in terms of their their knowledge about the entire field or about themselves like just just what they like to do like what what's fun for them because that melding that normal conversational stuff yes it might not directly apply to the job but it could apply to team cohesion it could apply to just having you know a good a good person to rely on for perhaps um the f- future interviews like if they're really good at this interview process, the, the reality is maybe they can also lead interviews. They can be the interviewer at some point down the line. Stuff like that you can find out just from having a conversation. And a lot of the people that I, that responded had this to say is like all the interviews that they were they liked were just kind of shooting the shit. They're just shooting the shit about the technical stuff. They're just shooting the shit about uh, th- their own lives. What, they do, what they've done in the past. They're just kind of like having this regular, normal conversation. You can even, I mean, go for beers or something. I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone did that, but like it could be, it could be part of it. Like just try to try as an interviewer, if you can put the person at ease as much as possible to get their normal self instead of this robotic behavior, you're going to get a better view of who they are as a person. And you're going to allow them to be more relaxed to the point where they can be the normal person with you and get the more accurate observation. You're going to see a lot of the times the people that you were weeding out before from just putting too much pressure on them are actually going to be very productive members of your team. Just because I, you're I got a question. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. I got a question for you here. So um, I read uh, something on Twitter and I don't have a source because I just I just remember this. I don't actually know where it was exactly. But I remember somebody was talking, I believe it was Twitter or Reddit, and um, they were, one person was asking about sort of similar things about, you know, what are some, you know, bad interview processes or what, like whatever. Uh, It was something like on that topic. And I remember this person talking about how this interviewer said, hey, like we, you know, what do you do in your off time? And they were like, well, you know, I just had like a kid, this and that, and it's our first and whatever. And then the interviewer used that as a vehicle to transition it. And again, I'm talking from memory, so some of this might be wrong. But the the interviewer used this to transition it to a conversation about how there was a lack of uh, GitHub green boxes, which we all probably know of, which is shows like when you've been committing um, to your uh, GitHub repos. And the guy said, yeah, well, on my off, like I, like I have a job. So like I, my personal one isn't, you know, in question. It's sort of like my work one that's in question, my experience. And the guy was like, well, you don't code on your off time. And he kind of made a comment like he coded for a couple hours a day himself or something. And so the the interviewee asked the interviewer, hey, well, you know, what's your situation like? Like, do you have kids? And he's like, oh, yeah, I have two two boys or whatever. But they were older. I think it was like the youngest one was 12. The other one was like 17 or something. And the guy said, well, do you not? understand that me with like a newborn especially a first newborn has a different situation and the interviewer replied with what well, uh where there's a will there's a way and and if i find this 
uh, thing. I'll I'll link it in the show notes. Like I'll link it as a resource. But I it's been a long time since I've read it. But it was sort of like, hang on a second. So you want them to code all day at work, and then code as a hobby on you know God knows what, and then it's like it's it's again it's one of those weird corporate systems where. It's sort of like, I hope that the way you are as a person melds with us. But what I actually want is for you as a person just to program all the time. Like, I Which don't, is ridiculous. Because it's ridiculous. It's like, okay, so do you, like if the interviewer was a skier, I'm just making this up now. If the interviewer was a skier and they know he was trying to strike up a conversation about skiing, it's like, do you expect this person to work at a regular job, which let's assume it's eight hours, and then go home with a newborn and I don't know, care for the airborne, the, the, the airborne care for the, the newborn for maybe don't, I guess. And then go skiing. So you can have a conversation about it and meld with the culture and then be like, go out and be a person after, but then also have a healthy family life. It's like one of those corporate structures that just doesn't actually like fit into a real life. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. It's sort of like, what are you expecting from this person? I guess where there's a will is a way. I mean, and I guess it got out of the way at the interview. Like it's it, at least that guy knows, like, I get, I <laughs> like what, like what's going on here. So it's a really good point to bring up. I think the, the way that that guy handled the interview, the interviewer was really bad. Like it, it, it obviously saying where there's a will, there's a way questioning whether they're passionate about coding during the, like, just like they did uh, because, you know, they, they have a kid, like it's not fair. Um, so it's a shitty situation that would go into the horror stories, right? Very similar, very similar scenario. It's conversational, but it could lead to a horror story. On the other hand, like you had that conversation, you've, you've said your piece and you know that that's what they expect at the, at this point, the interviewee. Correct. So maybe it's a good thing that you got that out there and now you're going to move, you know, go your separate ways because the, the, the it wouldn't fit. Like you wouldn't fit because the guy would come up to you and only ask you about coding questions all the time thinking that you have no life. But you do have a life. Like you have a kid, you have hobbies and stuff like that. And it just, you know, you would always clash in that sense. Like you wouldn't understand. Well, it's a so, red flag too, right? Where yeah. it's like it's a red flag in that. What are they going to do as a company? They're telling you eight hours. Are they going to call you at all, all hours? You know, it, it, may, it may, maybe that isn't a telltale sign. You know, like it's possible that this guy is actually coding in his personal time and isn't being bo- like bothered in his off time. But is this a, a little bit of a test? Like it raises the question in the interviewee's mind of, is this a tester question where, hey, you're at your desk, aren't you? Why don't you just, why don't you just do a little work off the clock? Mm-hmm. Why not? Yep, that, that I mean, be that'd it. be nice. I mean, I, I agree as a, as a person that would employ someone, it'd be nice if they just worked for free, but that's not how the fucking system works. Like, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. No, you're right. You're, you're right. That could, it could be one of those things. But so having said that, like, that's a bad way to handle it. But in a sense, when you're in an interview and if you reboot, rebut the fact that like, hey, I never code in my off time, like I only code during work and you're very adamant about that it's fair like that's that's your prerogative you can say that that's your life obviously there's nothing wrong with that and i wouldn't respond negatively to it but knowing that hey like this person okay this person doesn't this person codes for eight hours a day or does their work goes home and does whatever they want they're a great coder i'm gonna hire them because they're a great coder but let's say a scenario where another person comes in 
everything is the same, but they also kind of do a little bit of coding in their off time. They're also more passionate about talking about the technology that they're using. They're also a great coder. It would be difficult for me to justify hiring the person that doesn't care about the code, doesn't care about coding in their off time, doesn't really like it, it seems, right? Doesn't like the the code at all over the person that is more passionate about it, that is interested in, you know, expanding their knowledge, their skills, does a little bit on, on the side because they like it. It's a really difficult, like, I understand where the, both people are coming from because on the one hand, it is a job. A job is a job. You, you shouldn't, you're not expected to do anything outside of your six hours or eight hours that you do of work. That should be the, that in, a, in, a, in an ideal scenario, that's the, that's the situation. Like, I don't want to ask an employee to do anything outside of work for work, period. I, I never want to be in a situation where I have to do that, right? But if they don't like it, it's going to lead to a situation where, yes, they're a great coder now, but are they going to be able to keep up with the technology? Are they going to even want to? Like, they're going to learn, you know, jQuery. They're going to get super good at jQuery. But if I bring to them React, like how long is it going to take them to spin up on it if they have never used it outside of work? It's going to take them longer than the other person that is doing side projects that is going somewhere. Like that's the one side. The other side, the counter argument to that is there's probably a lot less chance of them leaving to start their own company or leaving to go to another company and stuff like that. So you have to weigh everything in this situation. It's not, it's not concrete. It's not, you know, black it's not red and black or not white or black like it's not something that you can just throw away in the sense that like is passion important especially showing it in an interview in my opinion you should show a little bit of passion for coding in the interview process if you hate coding if you're someone that just hates doing it I don't know, like it's just, it's tough for me to recommend them to go into the industry because that's what you're going to be doing all day. And, and in coding, you have to constantly be getting better and better and better. Like that's just part of the job. Like it, you have to constantly be learning new things. You have to constantly be going some, like figuring out how to do things in different ways. Like you can't just be set in your ways as a coder to be super successful. I don't know if you have a counter for that, Matt. I, I do not. I just spilt okay. water everywhere, uh, okay, if I'm good. being honest. So, um, <laughs> I mean, we'll leave this in the show for uh, comedic purposes, but I am uh, triaging <laughs> water spillage. So please continue. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Okay. Sorry. All right. No, all good. Okay. So we talked about that uh, culture fit rather than technical. That's a really important one. The other one is just what about having no real technical interview? So that's happened. Like a, a lot of people that have said that they enjoyed the interview process because they didn't really have a full technical interview with like a live coding session and stuff like that. They didn't have that full end-to-end experience. All they had was like, hey, have you done this before? Yes. Have you? Do you know what this is? Yes, we are hired. I've noticed in the Web3 space especially, that is a very common thing. When people are onboarding new developers, they just need stuff to get done quickly they're like, what have you done? This is what I've done. Okay, let's try you. You're going to get like a two-week trial or a three-week trial. If you can get anything done in that three weeks, we'll hire you for a longer time. I like that. person. I know not everyone's going to like that, but I personally like that because it's like, okay, I need to do this. I need to actually succeed. I'm going to get paid for these three weeks. That's great. 
And if I don't succeed, if it's not a good fit, I could just leave in three weeks. It's super low. Um, it's, you know, super low risk for everyone involved. Right. And the way to get there, it's not like a random person can show up and do no technical interview. You have to have had ex- like something behind you. Either someone recommended you. That's a great way. Your network recommended you for the job. You have to have had maybe some authority in the industry. So maybe you write a blog. Maybe you've done some talks. That's a great way to do it. Maybe your GitHub reputation is really good. Like you have a lot of GitHub repos that maybe even the the project has used before, right? So they've actually used some of your libraries or something like that. All those things can get you past the technical interview. I've seen it happen multiple times. Even some people that haven't had jobs. One perfect example, one of my friends, he works on the Web3 projects with me. He got past the technical interview for a design uh, design uh, HTML layout job and design because he had a portfolio. He had I vouched for him because I saw what he could do on some side projects that he worked on. And that's it. And then they were just like, again, this is a three week thing. You have three weeks to get something to get some momentum going. We'll reevaluate that that time. And that's exactly what they did. They're like, they reevaluated, hey, we like the work in the three weeks. We're going to continue going. And it's been going for months now. So personally, I think these are great. These kinds of interviews are great because it, it, a lot less stress, a lot of trust. It starts the relationship from a trust standpoint. If you can both trust each other and it continue, it can continue that way, that's going to build a really strong relationship. When the relationship starts from zero trust, where you have to go through nine interviews and you have to build that trust up slowly, that relationship is more difficult to maintain. Like just the reality of it. You're not going to have as more of a, as much of an open relationship. You're not going to get as much out of the developer as you possibly can or as much of the person you possibly can because they're going to be very sheltered. They're going to be turtling because they don't want, they, they know that they have to build the trust. So they have to like, they have to figure out how to build it. They have to do things like they have to try different things with you and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's, it's obviously not going to work for everyone. Again, it does require there to be something behind you that you can rely on, like, like I've mentioned. But for the people that do have that, another, another kind of motivation, if you're out there to start that blog, start that Twitter account, start that net, like building that network, start building open source. All these things can lead to a more direct to job approach, not only in traditional interviews, but even non-traditional interviews, like I just mentioned. So assuming Matt is still dealing with the water situation, I'm going to continue. I, am, I have returned, but please continue. I have, I have returned. Uh, it was in an area with a smart display, a $100 uh, wireless charger, and a SteelSeries light-up RGB mouse pad. So I had to, I had to act quick because electricity and water don't mix. So I apologize for that. <laughs> I guess we've just witnessed Matt's bankrupting uh, right out live on the podcast. All of his technology is gone. <laughs> all right. So having said all that, having read all that, what I want to do is I want to lay out kind of my perfect interview at this point, like how I would conduct an interview, having read all these things and uh, taking them all into account. Now, obviously the, Based on what I'm interviewing for, based on who I'm interviewing, I might adjust this. But just the high level, let's let's go into it, right? Before the interviewer interview, I will let the interviewee know all the tech that would be required for the job. 
I will also let them know that they, for them to know to, to bring some projects with them, either just on Git, GitHub, Bitbucket, whatever, where they can open them up and to know that we're going to be going through some one, one or a couple of these projects. So this gives them some time to prepare a the technology that they will be asked about. I've done this before, by the way, that in, in a, as an interviewer, I have given this information right away as being like, hey, we're going to be talking about Bootstrap. We're going to be talking about uh, CSS Flexbox. Know those things. And it's worked out great because, again, they come more prepared. It's more of an easy conversation. Uh, next thing is basic get to know them questions. I I, I would keep this very sh- short, shallow, because like Matt was saying, like it's I do like the conversational aspect. But I lean more because this is a job, I'll lean more on the technical conversational aspect, if that makes sense. Like, I want to know a little bit about you. I want to know how, how we meld, if you have any common interest. But is the, in my team, we're a, we do a lot of asynchronous communication. We're not in an office. Does it really matter that you like games and I like sports? No, at the end of the day, it does not. That's not going to be a deciding factor for me in, in my hiring process. It's going to matter a lot more if you're if you like the technology that we're working with. Well, That's the thing the with reality. this one, too, is that if you're it's an in-person interview, this might happen in the hallway. You might be walking to the interview room or going up the elevator or whatever, because you have the time you got to go through a security gate to get to an interview room. And so you're kind of escorting this person through uh, the security gates and such. And this type of step might even just happen naturally that way, because it's you're not going to just start the interview as you're walking down the hallway, I would hope. No. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't ask any technical questions there. I would just be like, hey, what's up? Um but in this process, I would also ask about like their previous work, where they worked, if they liked it, what they liked, they didn't like. So I would get a basic understanding of their background, right? Their interests, their and their background. Once I finished that, I would ask them to tell me about the projects they worked on. So in your work, side projects, whatever you want to talk about, depending on what stage of your career you're at, you're going to have different answers for this, right? I just want to hear what they're passionate about, how they describe the stuff that they've coded and stuff like that. So it's just more of a high level thing about the projects like, uh, you know, they worked on a database system or they worked on like a internal employee login system to be able to clock in and out or something like that. Whatever. I just want to hear about the project that they worked on. Then take those answers and I want to do a little bit of a deep dive into one or two of them. Ask them about the technology that they worked on with that stack. Ask them about some problems they ran into during creation of that, of that thing. How did they work with the team? What were the meeting schedules like? So just, just get again, a basic understanding of the workflow that they've been used to. This is not to say like, if your workflow doesn't match my workflow, we're not hiring you. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense because literally every company that I've ever worked with has a completely different workflow. Like Scrum method, Agile method, it, it is a basic understanding, but everyone applies it differently for whatever reason. Even though there is like a structured way to apply it, everyone applies it differently. Everyone has their own takes on it. And I just, I'm just curious how they worked with those takes. Then I'll go, I'll go and ask them to bring up the code that they brought with them, right? So which co- which project they want me to look at? Which project are they most passionate about at that point? Right? It might be their latest side project. It might be a work project that they worked on a little while ago. Whatever. And I'll take, I'll ask them to show me the functionality of it. Right. And then I'll take them through maybe one of the features that they built out. Just, hey, show me, show me the code for that feature. Let's go from top to bottom. Uh, explain this, explain that, explain why you use the fetch instead of a 
at Axios here. Uh, why is this not commented? I like that comment there. Would you put that co- same comment over here? Like stuff like that. Like I would, I would go pretty deep into one feature just to see again the conversation that you would have with a person about the code that they created. It's a very common thing that will happen during your work. So I think it's a really good kind of, it's a really good thing to have in lieu of a technical aspect, which is something that I'm not going to ask here. I wouldn't in this interview do a live coding session. So I'm going away from that. I'm using the their own code and explanations as my live coding session. It also gives you an impression of how they're coding in, in like they're obviously going to bring a piece of code that they would want to show. Now, I assume in this particular case, it's not an assignment you gave them. It's something that they they wrote up themselves on a personal project or something, open source, whatever. Um, and it, if it's something that they want to show, it's something that they've more than likely done uh, when they were coding normally or calm, not in the interview stress period. So you're getting like the interview stress period would impact how somebody would code up something technical. It's the same thing in anything. I mean, f- playing a video game and getting flustered is going to you know hurt your or affect your performance. So this is sort of like a more I would presume Mike and correct me if I'm wrong. This is a more organic way of seeing how somebody when they're you know in that cubicle. It this is a closer or hopefully a closer look as to what they would actually provide you without the 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 interview stress and the the like the pr- whole procedure of an interview weighing on them. As close as you can get, like it's still going to be not fully organic. Obviously, they don't know you. You don't know them. Like it's sure. still it's still an awkward situation. But I think it's a little bit less awkward than asking them to code something off the top of their head. Just personally, like that's my personal opinion. That's what I would do right now. And I think you're 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 100 right. That's what it's going to give you a more organic, a more organic response and a more organic and realistic approach to how this person will go through the code. Then I would ask them to describe their troubleshooting process, right? So any way that they would like, let's say they stumble on an issue. What are the steps that you would take to solve that issue? What I'm looking for here is something like I would go into the documentation. I would, uh, you know, spend like, you know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes there checking to see if I could find the solution. If I can't find it there, I would Google it. I would spend like 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes to spend there and if I can't Google it myself, I would go and ask you or I would go and ask a, a team member, right? And then we can take a look at it together. That's kind of the ideal thing that I'm looking for. I'd be more than willing to hear more like uh, expansive ones, more interesting ones, whatever you have. I just want to hear them say that they would eventually get to a point where they would probably ask someone, right? And, and probably not right away. So that's where I would kind of guide it. Again, I'm not expecting everyone to answer all of the questions that I ask perfectly. If they were to be at this troubleshooting phase and be like, I would ask you first, I would probably correct them a little bit here and be like, hey, what about like, you know, Googling a little bit and then asking and see how they respond to that correction. It's not going to immediately disqualify them if they answer it not the perfect way that I ask. You know, what's interesting about this as well, specifically about troubleshooting is that to me, troubleshooting comes naturally. And I think that 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 goes the same with other people as well. Obviously, I'm not some special person that knows how to troubleshoot better than anyone else. So like for some of us, troubleshooting, I would would assume comes naturally. And I find it really interesting 
that there's people that don't know this skill. Like, it just feels so natural to me when I go in and I'm like, oh, well, if we remove this function or if we remove this switch, if it's a networking situation or if whatever, it's interesting to sort of see how people can't they don't do it. They, they, they can't, they, it's, it's, it's weird. It's weird to see people struggle with this. And so it's a good interview question in that it's a skill that can be learned. Obviously, you know, you're not trying to put someone on the spot, but it's good to see where they're at because it, it will dictate their questions where they might be coming to you and saying, Hey, you know, this isn't working. And it's not because they're a bad coder. It's because they're actually a bad troubleshooter. And the first thing that I would do is say, well, Okay, what's changed from then till now? When did the problem start? What part was done right before the problems? Like there's there's like a procedure that I just naturally think of that I I guess I've picked up in IT, learned in IT, whatever. And it like even with home inter, um home uh, networking is a common thing that family members will call me for and I'll tell them like has anything changed and they're like no. And I'm like, okay. So then you go through the procedure, go through the procedure, you're doing like generic troubleshooting. And then they'll be like, well, I did get a new router and the instant I plugged it in, everything broke. And it's like, how did you not realize that that was the thing that broke it? If it's been working for months on end until you plugged in the router, they're like, well, I suppose, you know, didn't really think that the router would have anything to do with it. It's like the troubleshooting step isn't there to them. They're just using logic and they're saying this, this router should be working. It's brand new. Therefore, I won't involve that with my troubleshooting. But like a person who does who has a good troubleshooting skill will be the first person to say, well, hang on a second, unplug that thing and see if it starts working again. You know, we have to eliminate parts to try to figure out what's broken and then slowly but surely eliminate down, down, down more granular. So this is actually a very interesting question that you would ask because like, again, this will affect how they interact with the team. It will affect the speed of their work as well. Um, in some in some cases, because they might write beautiful functions and know when to comment this and that, but they might have no idea how to troubleshoot stuff. Like if you're working in in, a, in an environment that's big enough to have multiple teams, if one team just pushed the biggest update they ever have and it broke your code, I mean, some people would just be sitting there hitting their head off, like hitting the head off the desk figuratively trying to figure out what's wrong in their code when in reality you should be looking at what changed in that other what changed in that update to cause your code not to work and what can you do to fix that? But they might not even look at that other code and someone else might have to tell them that. So that, that affects, that affects the, the, the time it takes for them to solve the problem, how they solve the problem, because they might have to ask for help, which takes up someone else's time, which is fine. I'm not saying don't ask for help. Um, and of course I, I mess up troubleshooting as well. I'm not saying I'm like some amazing troubleshooter, but it's like it, this is something that's like really crucial in many fields and tech because of so many moving parts is one of them. And so if this is, you know, this is something that you struggle with where like the listener, if you, if something you struggle with and you, you, you find yourself not being able to troubleshoot, like you got to learn to troubleshoot in my opinion, because it, it's, it's used, like I've used my IT troubleshooting steps and general skills to troubleshoot everything and any problem in my life that I can apply it to. That is out of tech as well. It's just a huge skill to have. And again, in tech, especially it's, it's massive. I think you hit it. Yeah. Like I just want to see that initial, those initial steps and you, you kind of, your answer would have been really good. Right. So like 
figure out what changed or something like that. Like I would love to hear that in an interview. That would be a perfect thing to say in this exact question. And that's what I want. That's what I'm kind of getting out of people. I'm hoping that they have some knowledge of troubleshooting, something that we can at least work with so that we can work because yeah, it's, it's one of the main things. It's one of the main skills to be able to not only get through a problem, but also ask the right question at the end of the day, right? Like if you're, if you're going to immediately jump to questions, then your question is probably not going to be very good. Like it's going to be too general, too generic, and you're going to, it's going to require a lot more back and forth with the person you're asking a question with. Whereas if you go through these troubleshooting steps yourself and come back being like, Hey, I found that, you know, I've changed this. I've changed that. I have, you know, this is what I did before. This is when it was working. This is now not working. After you've given them some background information, they're going to be a lot faster to help you and a lot easier for them to figure out what went wrong or at least point you in the right direction. So that's the real main focus here in this troubleshooting question. It is important um, and it is something that you can expect. And it's, it's one of those ones that I would expect everyone to kind of get to a certain degree, right? That's somewhere in the general bar ballpark, because if they've made it to this point of the interview, right? Uh, that means that they've at least coded something. So they must know how to troubleshoot. <laughs> it's just one of those things, like one of the basic generic skills that most code, like 99% of coders should have. And next thing here, um, I would ask them what they'd expect out of the job. Right. So like, what do you expect to learn? What do you expect that you'll be doing? Like, what do you want to do? Like, I, I want to hear from them about what they want from a job. Right. Because if I hear at this point that, you know, their expectations are that they want to work one hour a week or they want to work with a technology that's completely opposite from my technology, like in the negative. Right. Um, it could be a, it could be something that would key me in on maybe they don't want the job at this point or maybe they don't they think that they're you know they're going to be able to sway everyone in one direction or another immediately um but if they say like hey i you know i really like uh, react but um and and I, I appreciate that you're using it but i also use svelte and view in the off time uh that's a good thing like that's a positive for me because that means that they've used multiple different technologies or if they say like hey like this job is Something where I want to, you know, ha- I want to have a mentor and I want to build my career and, you know, focus, focus on the fundamentals. That's also a really good answer to this question. Um, there is really no one answer or really no structured answer I can think of for this to be positive, for, for this to be like, you know, work for everyone. I just want to hear the, their actual response. I'm hoping that the conversation up to this point was conversational enough that we can have a real, a real conversation about this. And again, it, it's a benefit to both people because if we don't match in this point, it's probably not a good idea for either of us to move forward with it, right? So that's that's kind of the key here. And, and I would expect it 99% of the time to match pretty easily. Next, I would tell them about our expectations. So now that they've told me about the expectation, I would tell them about ours because again, it's part of the process of like them weeding us out. A lot of the times development is very uh competitive like the the reality is to get a good developer it's a very competitive market right now and i think it's important to again align on these things and me, be upfront with it and have this honest conversation so that they know what to expect if it comes to that that to be the decision maker and having said like saying all these things will avoid them having to ask the needless questions in the next part right it will it'll it'll force them to ask the more 
important questions that are on their mind. So I want to lay out as much as I possibly can about the expectations so that I can get the more interesting questions from them when I ask them, what are your questions for us? And in this part, Matt was mentioning it earlier where he would take out a sheet and look at the sheet and see questions. I mean, if someone's going to do that, that's fine. Like, again, it's not going to be one of those things that is just going to be everything is great up until this point. They take out a sheet and I'm not going to hire them. Like, that would be ridiculous. Like, I'm not going to do that. Um, But ideally, I would think that, like, they they naturally would have had some questions come up during this process. (laughs) Big big time. Like, it it felt super awkward bringing up that sheet. (laughs) It felt super awkward the whole time. (laughs) I would really hope that they would naturally come up with some questions that are interesting to them. And I would hopefully answer them. In a, in a way that would be good for them, right? Like, so that's what I'm expecting from this one. I, I don't, again, I don't really have a set of questions that I'm expecting at all. I don't, you know, I don't have a list of being like, okay, they asked me this, but they didn't ask me this. So they're not going to get hired. Fuck that. Like, that's bullshit. I know that that's some people do that, but I would just expect some interaction, anything at this point. Like, I'd, I'd just be hoping for something interesting, really. You know, you know what? I will say this as well is that. I, I as an as a pers- prospective interviewee would really appreciate the specifically the part where you said that you're going to talk to them about your expectations and then like namely hours and vacation because in tech it's really well in tech and a lot of other jobs um, but in our in our sphere it's really w- weird some people will just work all the time whenever some people will have stuff that they do that like requires their full attention. Some people will want family time. Some people will want structured hours. Some people will want no structured hours. Some people will want tasks given and you just work on the tasks until they're complete. Some people will, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like we used to have a guy, I remember a guy I worked with, he used to take vacations so that he could do more work faster without the red tape. Because he would just be like, oh, I'm off. Like I'm not doing anything. And then he would just go and do a bunch of work like behind the scenes because it would make his regular work like better and it's like clearly this you know as far as i know this person isn't doing a heck of a lot of personal stuff at least it didn't seem like it and like i don't know much about this person uh, personally but it definitely kind of seemed like that was the case because it's like who takes vacation to do work but that's what some people do some people will answer messages all day and night some people will leave their phone on at all times because they think i'm a professional i need to answer the phone whereas other people are saying no it's actually unprofessional and i'm going to set hours and then if you call me that's unprofessional so there's like this is one of those areas where a lot of interviewers say will at least in my experience will not cover this and then when you say score the job you do have that question of how does this job affect my life? Obviously, I have a certain amount of hours to do and a, and a commute. Usually, the hours, just the basic hours are covered. But the vacation or the after hours or whatever is not covered. Sometimes it is. You know, sometimes they'll talk about on-call rotation, this and that, and what they expect after hours. But sometimes it's just sort of left to like, well, you know, it's it's our office culture to answer even if you're on vacation. So bring your work device with you and, you know, have a good time. It's like, well, oh, yeah, great. Because, you know, it's expected that you're around. Some places will have that culture, whether it's right or wrong. It's 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 a reality. And, you know, with that, it's like, OK, well, I, I guess I have to tailor my life such that I need to be able to answer the phone because I can't answer a phone when I'm going down a ski lift or going down a ski, a ski trail or when I'm snowboarding. So maybe I can't do those type of activities anymore. I have to remain in an area where there's network coverage. I have to remain in an area where I'm able to pull out a phone and I have to be, I have to remain available no matter what. 
So it's like, you know, or or at least be rain available within an hour. So if I missed a call, I can I can call back and stuff like that. You know, and and I realize this is an argument or whatever, but I think this is a really big point of contention when it comes to interviews because at, at least when we were taught about interviews, it's like don't talk about money, don't talk about hours. You know, just be thankful that you got the job, and it's sort of like well. Yes and no. Like, I'm not going to ask for a raise right away or, you know, stuff like this. And and people negotiate their wage now. You know, that's more commonplace, at least um, more commonplace to my knowledge than it was when when we were doing our co-ops or at least. I mean, obviously, co-ops don't negotiate their wage, but, you know, stuff like that. Maybe that was more of a tip for a co-op type of thing uh, where you don't talk about wage. But, you know, and knowing the procedure of, hey, is it acceptable for me to take a day off? I need a Thursday off to go to the bank and deal with some sort of personal financial situation. Is that allowed? Or am I never available on Thursday again? Like, is it seriously, is that, a, is that a real, like, that's a real question. Am I never available on Thursday again? Or am I never available on a weekday again? Because I'm not allowed to have days off because I'm a critical part of the team. And even me taking a sick day is like a real serious problem. And how does the sick day sick days works? How do those work? And and it's like the ins and outs of the job because like you live and you do a job. So the job is a part of your life. It's like it's a big question as to how a job fits in your life. And I think a lot of people forget that they're like the interviewers are obviously worried about what your work is like, but it's sort of like, sure, but how does the job fit in? Is there a super long commute? Uh, you know, am I going to have to move closer because I'm on call all the time? Am I allowed to have vacation in the first year? Am I allowed to have vacation in the first couple of years? Um, what's like the, the what's the paternity leave situation? Is there one? Whatever. That's maybe more legal with governments or whatever. I don't really know how that works. Um, but it's you know it's it's a question because the your local regulations, um, in in our case the labor board in Canada or at least here. Um, you know, doesn't answer all the questions. There's certainly limitations like, hey, don't work your workers to death. And there's going to be some numbers and metrics in there that companies can't or shouldn't, you know, go over. But in general, it's like, at least right now, as far as I know, in Canada, it's like they could call like an office could let me leave, but then call me all day and all night. And maybe I have to have my ringer on. So it's like, what do I do? Huck my phone in another room and like finally get some sleep? Or do I just not sleep and then drive tired the next day? It's like, well, that's nice and safe. So it's, you know, it, it's a small thing that I've kind of gone on a rant on now, but it is, you know, a nagging question, you know, work culture and the expectation of when you're supposed to be there, how you're supposed to be there, how you're supposed to act, are you supposed to dress up and those type of things are big. You have to change your wardrobe. You know, do you need a nicer car because you're going to go see clients? Like what's the, what's the, what's happening? Like I'm not going to go see, you know, major clients in, in, in my 20 year old car. Or I mean, I, I mean, I would, <laughs> I don't care, but like a company might, they may be like, man, you got to have like a Lexus or, you know, whatever, you know, what's the culture? What, how does this, how does this change my general life? And, and, you know, bringing that up in the interview, at least maybe not super granular, like granular, but at least bringing it up, I think kind of cuts through the tension of that where the interviewee might even ask a follow-up question like, oh, okay, it's two weeks vacation. You know, how does that work? Whereas they'd be terrified to bring up vacation because it's like, oh my God, like what if the interviewer thinks I just want to take vacations all the time? So it, it I think it's almost an, it, like a little bit on the interviewer, or at least I would consider that a pro um, or a good interview piece where you cover how it would affect their their general life. 
I think that's a good that's a good point. And that that's what I would do. Like I would I would try my best to lay that out. Obviously, don't go I wouldn't go so granular, but if they wanted to ask a follow-up on it, I would totally be up for that. That's the point of the next like of that question, right? What do you have for me? Let me know and we can kind of get into it. But that's about it. Like I that's where I would go with the interview at this point. Um I'm not saying that I'm never going to change that because as I hear about better interview practices as I learn more about the interview process, I will evolve with it. Um but yeah, keep it I, I would keep it to one interview because I'm a small like small company and uh I would ask the right questions as much as I possibly could and provide the last thing I'll say is I would tell them as quickly as I figure it out when I will hire them or won't hire them. Because again, I don't like the fact that so many people are left hanging and that's just, it. again, empathy. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I think, and I hope that interviewer, inter- interviews, I guess, just in general, become more organic and just more become about conversation and conversation, obviously, about the work as well but less less of that structure that i mentioned before um less about uh judging me if i spill my water um less that's a joke uh, but <laughs> like less about like less stressful it doesn't like the job itself might be stressful i i don't know if you should be stressed about my like oh no i said hello instead of hi is that is that okay like people will freak out about little things like that because when you start getting really anxious or at least me when you start getting really anxious it, you know things start to not compute um I, and also when things go way off of the script that someone has in their mind you start to panic i have an example i went to an interview one time um it was a total disaster uh i tried to find this office i was given an address from the school's department and this was another co-op interview because we did a bunch of co-op interviews, which is why the majority of my interviews was at this time. Um, and they told me it was in this office and I went around this office and I could not find it. And this building was very, str- very strangely designed. I've never seen a building like this before where it had the standard. You walk in, there's sort of like an indoor plaza, like a mall. And then there's different, not storefronts, but like business fronts. And you can, some of them you go into, I think one of them might have been a dentist or something, but the majority of them were not really for public use. And a lot of them were just offices. And I remember just going through people's offices, asking people, like, do you know where this place is? Do you know where this place is? Do you know? And like, I remember being like, well, I guess I'm breaking in, not breaking in, but I guess I'm going into these offices. Like, I just started going into open doors and being like, hello, like, you know, does anyone know where this place is? Anyone know where this place is? And just like disturbing people as they work. Don't even know where they like, were they, were they doctors? Were they, I don't know, just going into places. It was, it was crazy. Interviews coming up, you know, real, real quick. They tell me where it is. I go there. And, you know, the interview starts out pretty normal, whatever. I fill out a sheet and then I go and I talk to this guy and this guy started changing his volume as he was talking to me. So he would be talking like this and all of a sudden he'd start talking like this. And then all of a sudden it'd be like all normal again. So then it would go like this. And I remember talking to him and absolutely like panicking, being like, I can't hear this guy. Like there's 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 points in his sentences, I can't hear him. And he's going to a- a- like ask me questions. Like, I'm freaking out already. Like, I'm already stressed because of this crazy situation where I'm literally running through an, a building filled with offices. Like, like a madman, sweating, freaking out, running around, trying to find this place. Do it. And then I'm like, okay, whew, now we're back on script, right? Made it on time. We're back on script. We weren't on script. 
<laughs> it wasn't on script. Somebody talking that normal volume and suddenly changing your volume to be really low and then come back up is not normal. And, and I don't know whether this person had like a problem with their speech or whatever, but like it was like really noticeable to the point where it's like. I started just freaking out. Like I just started panicking full on interview and horrible. It was, it was probably the worst interview I've ever been in. Um, that's super awkward. It was, it was super awkward actually. Uh, I'll never forget it. <laughs> so <laughs> core memory made. <laughs> <laughs> so like, hopefully for interviews become more organic than that. Um, and I don't need to disturb the doctors, lawyers or, whatever they were in that office so those poor people those poor poor people but i I think it's still there's still going to be some bad interviews out there so don't expect every interview to be amazing but i did want to point out that there are some great interviews there is some there are some people looking at that as a actual vector of getting talent which is smart uh lowering not lowering the bar but allowing people to be themselves a little bit is a way to get better talent because if you're going to put someone through hell um, they're just, they might not even want to work for you. Right. So at the end of the day, right now, the competitive, the landscape is so competitive in the development sense that we do need to rethink our approach. So I hope that people out there that are a part of the interview process will take some notes and maybe, you know, allow for their company to secure better talent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this needs to be seen less as a system and, and more of a, do we want this person here? And if we met them you know, on a professional means that wasn't an interview, maybe we should treat them that way, where it's like more of a, it's a professional friendly interaction and less of a, all right, part one, paragraph one, question one, like, you know, it's too, too, too structured, too structured, too awkward, too stress inducing. And hopefully we get away from that. But um, I think that's it. I think that's it for this episode. Uh, unless you had any anything else to add, Mike, we will uh, run the old conclusion. Runner up. All right. Well, if you're interested in episodes like this, we are on Patreon. So check us out at Patreon or yeah, patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. But before we leave, we do want to thank our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital via blueblackdigital.com, Chris from Self Made Web Designer via selfmadewebdesigner.com, Tim from The Web Hacker via thewebhacker.com, DL Ford from dl4.io, Viv Hashash from Nine Block Media via nineblockmedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Mega Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. And Edubloxians, game design for kids via edubloxians.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.